1854 was a tough year for Western Europe. In fact, it was just part of a miserable few decades. The Irish famine had ended, but its repercussions were being felt throughout Europe. The disease that had destroyed Ireland's crops and upset her economy led to the greatest emigration to the United States to date and had spread to other nations. These nations, although less dependent on the single crop, were thrown into economic turmoil with the poorest citizens suffering, as is usually the case, the most. Because of this, immigration to the United States became a quest for survival, and many sold everything they had to get across the sea. Families sacrificed all to get one member to the shining shores of that beacon, the United States of America, in the hopes that it could provide sustenance that could be sent back to their families. It's hard to imagine in our time of email, satellite radio, and other accoutrements, the level of commitment and sheer will it must have taken to leave everyone and everything behind. I cannot imagine stepping on a wooden ship, everything I own, everything my family owns, converted to gold or silver, and all of their hopes resting on me. To step on that ship and look back and see for the last time the faces of my family, the hills, the valleys, the rivers, the streams, the fields that had made up my world, and to know that I would never, ever, in this life, see them again. I can't fathom that courage, nor can I fathom the desperation or desire that must have moved people to do it. The ship called the New Era left Bremen, Germany on September 28, 1854, filled with hopeful passengers, some better off than others. Most had converted all that they owned into gold and silver, and as a precaution against theft, had sewn it into the hems of their garments. The open sea called to them. The shores of America, an ocean away, loomed as a possibility, as the future, unknown. This was the maiden voyage of the ship. Its destiny, or its fate, was still unwritten. Four hundred souls began that journey. Passengers were responsible for their own needs to a large degree. Each day that passed would be a day closer to the destination, but also a day further away from the comforts of home. There was no turning back. Passengers, some seasick the entire voyage, would weaken on board and become more and more susceptible to the infections and diseases carried aboard. After 60 days, more than 40 passengers had died of cholera, a dreaded and deadly disease that spread quickly to the young and infirm through food and through water. By November 14, 1854, the ship was very close to its destination, New York Harbor. In fact, the ship was just off the coast of Deal and Long Branch in New Jersey and the area that would become known as Asbury Park. The passengers must have been weary of the voyage and ready to feel the firm earth beneath their feet. They were so close. As their destination loomed before them, a storm pulled in. Dense fog hung close around the ship. Visibility became almost non-existent. The New Jersey coastline is a low and tricky shoreline. The land looks so far away. The shallow waters extend into the horizon. Many a ship has been lured by the deception of the land. Many a captain has thought himself and his vessel safely in deep water when he is actually on the verge of a grounding. The hidden sandbars have led to this stretch of coast being called the Graveyard of the Atlantic and Wrecker's Alley. The captain 
would have been aware of the reputation and would have been carefully scanning the horizon for signs to help him guide his ship and his charges safely through the storm. The first lurch of the ship hitting bottom must have come as a shock. It was near six o'clock in the morning. The November sea swept up over the decks, pounding the ship into submission. The captain and the crew believed that they were close to Long Island, and, sound, and a sounding that had taken earlier had convinced them they were safe. But they were neither. The ship began to fall to pieces almost immediately. The storm surged relentlessly. The passengers who survived the initial blows tied themselves to riggings to keep from being washed out into the churning and violent waters. Screams brought the local population to the beach where they watched in horror, completely helpless. They could not launch lifeboats or rafts or anything else into the tumultuous waters. They could only watch and listen as the helpless passengers screamed, some for help, some for salvation, some for quick release. But there would be no help, not for hours and hours and hours. The ship was tossed helpless against the storming sea, so close to the shore that the spectators could see the passengers tying themselves to the ship's rigging to try and wait out the raging storm. And the new era raged a losing battle. The oceans swelled and crashed against the decks, each time dragging a few more helpless passengers to their deaths. Time seemed to drag slowly forward. Minutes turned to hours, and the screams of the doomed became hoarse their fate seemingly inevitable. These are the facts of what happened. The ship was a total loss. It sank into the sands quickly once the storm quieted. The beaches along Deal and Long Branch and what would become Asbury Park were strewn with the bodies of the dead, some stripped naked by the pounding surf. The rescuers, those who braved the tempest-tossed sea, were scarred forever by the images of women, children, elderly, and stout young men rolling in on soothing waves or still tied to the riggings dead from exhaustion exposure having braved the foulest weather and the most cruel death their fingers stiff around ropes still more floated in the tide turned suddenly and deceptively peaceful the duty paid perhaps these nameless and homeless victims of fate lost so far from home so close to safety were buried by good Samaritans who happened by as the scene unfolded. But there's the rub. Was it fate? Was it destiny or chance? Or was it something far more sinister? It was long known by 1854 that the New Jersey shore was home to some unsavory villains. Ship captains were well aware that they had more than the forces of nature to contend with when they traveled up this way. In addition to pirates like Blackbeard and Captain Kidd, other nasty and disagreeable sorts roamed the beaches. They were known as wreckers or moon cussers. And more cold-hearted and cruel occupation is hard to imagine. Wreckers were people who would walk along the low shoreline on fog-filled, gloomy nights, sometimes with a mule, sometimes by themselves, holding a lantern. The bobbing of the light would appear to a ship at sea as the light of another vessel, far away, and sailing in deep, comfortable water. 
and ships would sail forward, believing themselves secure in the depth of the ocean, when in fact they were barreling toward land. The vessels would wreck and the contents and the passengers would become prey for wreckers. The goods that had washed ashore would be sold, the pockets of the dead emptied, rings ripped from cold fingers. Sometimes the passengers drowned during the ordeal. Sometimes they found their end hastened by a greedy wrecker who wanted no survivors to testify against him. In 1854, there were those who questioned quite quickly what caused the new era to wreck on that early morning. The newspapers, including the New York Times, printed stories of wreckers awaiting the bodies as they came to shore. People questioned why the victims, who had had plenty of time to prepare for their doom, were found nude, their clothes nowhere to be found. These people had not been tossed unawares into the sea. It seemed strange, then, that so many of them would have chosen to be on deck, stark naked. And those clothes, as mentioned before, were often lined with gold and silver, hardly helpful in staying afloat, of course, but still. Perhaps the waves had ripped them from their bodies. Perhaps. The wreck of the new era was catastrophic. Of the 360 people aboard who were alive in the morning of November 14, 1854, 120 of them were alive on November 17, 1854. 240 men, women, and children perished an unbearably cruel death, dying with life-saving equipment and land visible. The residents of Long Branch and Deal were horrified. The bodies continued to come ashore, some in pieces. Neighboring farmers and their families helped survivors. It was left to the survivors to identify the remains of those that the sea brought to shore. The bodies, after an attempt at identification, were buried in Long Branch, many in a long common grave. This was not a mark of disrespect, but rather an answer to an overwhelming problem. The bodies were decaying fast, and the shore towns were ill-equipped to deal with a disaster of this magnitude. Such horror and destruction, fear and violence can no doubt leave its mark on the witnesses of such a wreck. It can leave its mark on the very fabric of the place that witnesses it as well. The lonely stretch of beach that saw the complete wreck of the new era is called North Beach in Asbury Park. It is a lonesome stretch of beach, beautiful in its own way, a somewhat forgotten patch between the newly renovated Asbury Park boardwalk and beach and the popular exclusive Deal Beach. It provides a view for the new tenants of the towers that are springing up, homes to a new breed of Jersey Shore dwellers. On spring and summer evenings, yoga and tai chi classes are taught here. The sun favors this stretch of land with the same shine as any place else. However, when the sun hides, things take on a more ominous note. When the moon is obscured by clouds and a fog settles on the beach, there are those who claim to hear distant shouts for help in the crashing of waves against an invisible vessel. Some have even claimed to see figures seemingly exhausted come out of the waves, one with the fog, and fall exhausted on the beach only to disappear. Stranger still, and perhaps most chilling, there are those who hear the tinkling and jingling of coins, either in the clothing of some poor survivor or being stripped from the dead by the lowest of the low. A wrecker.
There's no single answer as to what breeds a ghost, but one can well imagine that the victims of the new era have great cause to haunt that beach and the surrounding areas. After deciding to risk all for a new life, braving the open sea, surviving cholera and seasickness and the elements, knowing that the destination is but a few hours away, struggling mightily to stay afloat during the crash and the subsequent storm, and finally swimming the last few hundred yards to stumble exhausted but finally safe upon the shores of New Jersey. Safe, but only for the moment, as a strong hand reaches out and presses face to sand to drown in inches of water. Must, must leave some vestige. It must then enter the realm of possibility. That frustration and anger must be part of a recipe for a haunting. But perhaps it's only the wind that people hear playing with a far-off wind chime or the rolling fog that they see, perhaps. A resident of Asbury Park, now well into his 90s, but still a vibrant and active member of the community, shared with me an interesting story. Back in the 1920s and 30s, he and his friends used to work on the boardwalk. One of the ways to be sure to get the good jobs, the ones most likely to lead to meeting a pretty girl, was to show up early and be the first in line. Being late could mean garbage detail or worse. So he and his friends would sleep on the beach, on the North Beach, and they would rise with the sun to be the first in line for work. According to Jim, it's not his real name, but it's pretty close, one of his buddies, a big strapping kid, was terrified one night. They were sleeping one hot night in the summer, and the sound of the waves hitting the beach lulled them gently. Suddenly, his friend jumped and shouted, waking the three others. He was shaking, completely frightened, and when they asked him what had happened, he started blabbering about a man and a torch turning him over. We thought he was crazy, Jim said, smiling, shaking his head. He said that he felt a hand on his shoulder and that it turned him over. And when he opened his eyes, there was a scruffy-faced man with a torch over his head, leaning over him. We told him it was a dream. But he said he would never sleep on that beach again. And he spent the entire summer cleaning fish. Did that young man come face-to-face with a wrecker? Perhaps checking for valuables? Is this the residual energy of a man in the midst of committing a heinous act, doomed to repeat it over and over? No doubt the emotion of the wreck and the anger and frustration it caused could leave a mark on that area. Perhaps this young man slept in just the right place to experience a moment recorded more than 60 years before. Those who walk the North Beach Boardwalk will feel a decided difference. On this side of Convention Hall, things seem a bit more barren a bit more austere. And still there's a beauty to the beach here that is wild and pristine too. If ever you are walking the legendary boards of Asbury Park, do not think that you have reached the end when you pass through the arcade. Instead, keep going. If your courage allows, step onto the North Beach and keep your eyes open. For on that beach are not only the frolicking sunbathers, of the 21st century, but the lost souls of the 19th century. You may see the vestige of a ship long lost, and you may come in contact with a poor lost soul looking for a new home. And if you do, 
extend a hand and extend a greeting and extend a welcome for they have been through much to get here. This has been Paranormal Tales from the Tower. My name is Kathy Kelly. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe. Please follow us on social media, on Facebook, Paranormal New Jersey, on Twitter, at ParanormalNJ, on Instagram, at The Paranormal Museum, and on Patreon, ParanormalNJ. Thanks so much.